again, we'd like to welcome all of you here to Lakeside this morning. We're, we're glad that you're here with us, and we're thankful. Uh, just a few announcements before we open our Bibles together. Uh, our entire team that was planning to go to Mexico arrived yesterday. They were able to go. Uh, some of you knew, but maybe some of you didn't. Uh, there were two people who we were not sure if they were actually going to get their passport to go, and it came down to the wire. Um, one of them, uh, Layla, had sent away her passport to get a new one and sent it even weeks before some of uh, the other students had sent their paperwork, but they got their renewed passport and she did not. And so most of the week was just sort of checking in. Have you heard anything? Have you seen anything online? All the way till Friday. And Brad and I were here on Friday and he was starting to research, like, what do we do? Like, what are the refund options on the plane ticket and things like that? We'd basically ourselves internally given up the possibility. And then a text came through from Layla, Layla that in Friday's mail, there was the passport. Uh, and she was able to go. And uh, David Kuyper also had a, an, a meeting at an embassy, but that meeting could not be scheduled till Friday. And so he drove up to Detroit to have his meeting to get his passport, but that went through. So everybody who was planning to go, praise God, was able to go. They left very, very early yesterday. They arrived safely, and now they have a week of an opportunity to have a service project there, and so we're very thankful uh, for that and trust that God will just continue to do more things like that. Uh, for them, that this will truly be a transformational trip uh, for them, even though it will be a brief one. Uh, I'd also like to highlight this coming week as an opportunity for our seniors group uh, to have a, a second gathering, and this is intended to be a pontoon boat ride at Portage Lakes. And so if you've signed up for it, you already have the details. If you're only hearing about that now, but this coming Wednesday, uh, doing a, a pontoon boat ride in the Portage Lakes is of interest to you. Please just see Ruth Kovacs. It's going to be a lunch and a ride. And then obviously planning anything in Ohio around the weather is tricky. So if it is bad weather on Wednesday, the goal is still to get together, but then to have a gathering here of a lunch and a time together uh, if it's not possible to do the boat ride. So uh, if the weather cancels the boat ride, the goal is that it doesn't cancel the time for fellowship. Uh, and in that same spirit, I heard that this morning or today is Emily Tiffin's birthday. So can we give her a clap and a, a praise for her birthday? She rolled her eyes when I said it. So I won't tell you, Emily, who told me that it was your birthday today, but very happy birthday to you. And then uh, Thursday is an opportunity uh, also for young families to have uh, the second of their summer Bible studies and pool parties. And Jerry and Patty Emick are hosting that this Thursday at five o'clock. Uh, there's a workbook going through the book of James. And so if you uh, would like to go through that with your family, uh, and even if you can't go through it, but you want to join in on the time of fellowship this coming uh, Thursday, that'll be Thursday at five o'clock at Jerry and Patty's home. And if you uh, aren't getting these announcements electronically, there should be a card in the pew where you could give us your email address and we'll be happy to send you the information or you can just see me afterwards and I'll, I'll be glad to share more details about that. So before we open our Bibles together, uh, let's pray uh, and then we'll turn to the Psalms. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are thankful uh, for many things. Uh, as we prayed last week and, and had uh, the majority of the team that was going to be traveling to Mexico um, before us and 
our opportunity to see their faces and to anticipate what was in front of them, we knew that there was still uncertainty, and we longed for the possibility that everybody who had planned and desired to go would be able to do so. And so we thank you for the answered prayer of both Layla and David uh, getting their passports so that they could join the rest of the crew. And as they're worshiping this morning in a completely different environment and in a different language, uh, surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, who they do not yet know well. We just, we thank you that they are there. We pray that it would be uh, an impactful and transformational experience for each and every one of them. And we thank you that you're faithful in all of our seasons of life. We thank you for Emily and the gift that she is to each and every one of us as she celebrates her birthday today. And we, we thank you for the seniors in our church who are uh, taking more opportunities to connect with one another and to recognize we need community at every phase of life. Uh, that you have not designed us to, um, to, to walk this journey of faith alone, but we need the companionship and the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I thank you for the way in which Ruth is leading that initiative for our church and just pray your blessing uh, on them and, and all the opportunities we have this summer to connect with one another in unique ways. We, we thank you for it. And we just pray that you would allow those to be uh, dip and deep and rich experiences for us. And now as we open your word, Father, we ask that you would ultimately uh, speak to each and every one of our hearts uh, through your word and through your Holy Spirit, applying it to each and every one of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 28. It's a brief psalm of only nine verses. Um, Psalm 28 reads, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. And that'll conclude our reading from the word. There is in this psalm, like many others, a prayer on the part of the psalmist for justice. One of his pleas and his cries to God is that God would bring about justice for those who have their minds and hearts set on wickedness. And I don't know if you would say it's the case for you, but I do think for me sometimes there's a strangeness when we read somebody uh, 
in the scriptures who is crying out for, for God's justice, especially those of us who know how the, the, the story develops and we understand in a deeper way God's grace that we say, how is it possible for those of us who have been recipients of God's grace to then go to him and ask him to give justice to other people? Is that a, is that a contradiction? If, if we've been recipients of his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy, ha- have we lost, if you will, our footing to be able to now come before him and say, but God, in this situation, we want you uh, to act justly. We want you to execute that justice and punish those who have done wrong. And one of the easy outs to that sort of dilemma or that tension is to say, well, this is an Old Testament passage. And so maybe in the Old Testament that they, they didn't quite understand God's grace in the same day that we do. And so if they understood that their salvation was according to their works, then it's pretty consistent for them to pray in this way. And there are some who, that's how they would approach that sort of dilemma or that tension. And I submit to you that there's a better way uh, to approach it because I do think it's very clear in this psalm for how it begins that this psalmist understands God's grace. This psalmist knows that uh, it is only by God's grace that he has a hope in a future. And so while it's true that throughout the pages of Scripture, God's Uh, grace through Jesus is understood uh, more and more as the story develops. That God's salvation from beginning to end has always been by his grace. Has always been as God's people have had faith that God would save them and not that they could save themselves. And this psalmist knows that. And so there is some way in which the psalmist can claim God's grace and still pray for and plead for God's justice to be executed on earth. If you don't believe me, just look at it again. Look at verses one and two. The psalmist shares that he is completely dependent upon God's grace. He knows that. He's not standing in his own righteousness. He says, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. And so hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. There is both verbally and non-verbally this this, uh, crying out that the psalmist is doing by extending hands raised in desperation to say, "I'm, I'm, I'm lifting up my hand towards you. I need your help. I need your mercy. It's a powerful statement. If you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. That's the psalmist expressing his dependence upon God. God, if you do nothing, I'm done. If you simply do nothing, if you just ignore my prayer, I'm done. And it echoes eventually what Jesus would say in John chapter 15 when he would explain to his disciples that he was the vine, that they were the branches, and that apart from him, his disciples could do nothing. That they were entirely dependent upon God's grace and dependent upon their relationship with God. To be connected to him was their 
hope. And so we've already sung how we need him every hour, that we are dependent upon him, that that is an appropriate song for us to sing as Christians. We need his mercy. We need his grace. That's exactly what the psalmist is longing for, that God would not ignore his prayers or be silent to them because he knows that if God does nothing, that he's without hope. And so he is reaching out and asking God for his grace. He knows he's dependent upon that. And so dependent upon God's grace, he is pleading ultimately that God would help us to resist evil. So dependent on God's grace, the psalmist is asking for help to resist evil. And he recognized that evil comes in different forms. It's insightful when, he, when he's asking for this, he says, Basically, help me, protect me from the wicked who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. There's a lot of sophisticated sin in the world, if you will. Uh, there's a lot of bureaucratic wickedness that doesn't look immediately on the face of it like somebody's intending to do harm or somebody's intending to ignore God and his wisdom and his ways. But the psalmist realizes that you can't always tell on the outside what somebody's intentions are or what's in their heart. And in fact, the sin that is most pervasive and effective in this world is oftentimes the one that looks to be well-intentioned or purposed. The, the New Testament says that the devil himself appears as an angel of light. And so there's a deceptiveness to sin. And our own Lord experienced this when he was tempted after his baptism in the wilderness, that when Satan came to him in that temptation, there was on the face of some of the initial things that Satan was trying to get him to do, nothing bad. Satan was even quoting scripture to him to say, hey, shouldn't you do this? Didn't you come for all the kingdoms of the world? Why don't you just, if you're willing to bow down, these could all be yours. But Jesus could not be tricked. He could not be deceived. No matter how Satan tried to appear before him, he saw it for exactly what it was. And then all throughout the New Testament, we have warnings about uh, wolves appearing in sheep's clothing and, and coming in a way to deceive, as even Gaylord opened up this morning to say false teachers coming in and perverting the truth that we know uh, that was laid down by the apostles. All of that work is done most effectively when it has the appearance of goodness or the appearance of good intentions. And so the psalmist, who is simultaneously praying for God's mercy and grace, is also asking that that grace manifest itself in his life, that he can resist evil, that he not go the way of sinners. But then in verse 4, he says, Give to them according to their work and according to the evil deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands and render them their due reward. And I submit to you, this is still part of the, what should characterize the prayers that we offer as Christians who know we have been forgiven by God, that we still long that we can resist evil in our own lives. And when people are so bent on committing evil that they resist God's grace that we pray that God would be consistent with his character and be just and good. 
I mean, that's part of our gathering is to celebrate God's goodness in our lives, but also to pray, God, in this world, if there is somebody so set on committing harm or abuse or random acts of violence or whatever it is, God, would you stop them? Would you not allow another whatever scenario might come into our mind? And there's nothing about our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross that prevents us from also praying, God, would you stop this evil? Would you prevent it from happening? Would you thwart it? Or if it's already been committed, would you bring about justice against those who are committing it? Because both of those reactions flow out of a same conviction that God is good and God is holy. And so because God is good and God is holy, we want him to be merciful to us if we turn to him and repent. But we also don't want him to just ignore sin and its consequences or evil. But many times as Christians, we can, we can use the one to negate the other and say, if I've been a recipient of God's grace, I can't really advocate for myself and say, I don't think I should be being treated this way. Or, or I don't think this kind of harm should continue to go on because that wouldn't be very Christian of me is the temptation many people fall into. Instead of believing, listen, as a Christian, you have every right to say abuse is wrong and should not be accepted. As a Christian who's received God's grace, you have every right to say uh, business transactions should be done ethically and nobody should be lying to one another or deceiving one another. As a Christian who's received God's grace, you have every right to say if there are certain policies that are being put in place that are causing profound harm to, to people that you know or don't know to say this is wrong and we should do something about this. There's nothing about believing in Jesus and being dependent upon God's grace that should prevent us from also taking on the charge to resist evil. That that's actually an extension of God's grace. That that's one of the ways he works through us is to say, God, in the grace that I've received from you and the mercy that I have, help me to resist evil in all of its forms. And where people who are committed to evil refuse to repent or refuse to change their ways, Father, would you thwart their plans? Would you not allow them to succeed so that there isn't more destruction and more harm and more theft that's caused in our day? And that's what this psalmist is praying. Next, he's praying. Uh, there's a the clear shift in verse 6 that all of a sudden this prayer, um, we, we get a sense has been answered. And so the, the plea for mercies in verse 1 and 2 and for grace has this response in verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. And so just as important as it is to resist evil and to stand against it, we also need to take the moments when there have been breakthroughs in our lives or there have been answered prayers or we have seen situations resolve to take our time and acknowledge them and thank God for his faithfulness. Thank him for the, the situations that he has brought us through so that we can uh, get encouragement along the way the next time we face another battle that we're tempted with to remember God heard our prayers. He answered them. We're going to come before him again. 
in that same posture of desperation that we really need him. There's no point in our journey of faith where we stop needing him. And so there's no point in our journey where we stop needing to celebrate also the good times as they happen. To be thankful for birthdays and anniversaries and and ordinary days uh, that go in wonderful ways because it's amazing how quickly we can forget how desperate we were just a few days ago. (laughs) That once we're out of that crisis mode, it's just easy for us to start to take things for granted. And so we are supposed to be committed to celebrating God's mercy and grace and goodness in our lives. Thanking him for each of uh, the ways in which he's blessed us. For us in in this past week, it was remembering uh, the birthday of my father-in-law who's no longer with us. And while there's a grief in that reality that now it's the second birthday that we don't have him with us, there's also an obligation to say, but we need to get together and thank God for all of the ways in which our lives were blessed by him as a husband, as a father, as an uncle, as a brother, as a grandfather, and that in taking the time to do that, we can simultaneously grieve and celebrate and not knowing what future challenges might come our way where we have to do the same thing. But God's mercy is worth our celebration, worth our remembering, because all of us can be prone to forget. And then lastly, the the psalm then just sort of expands in its scope, where the psalmist is asking for God's own mercy, the ability to resist evil, and then the whole nation is in view in verses 8 and 9. He says, the Lord is the strength, not just, verse 7 had said, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Now verse 8 says, the Lord is the strength of his people, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed, which anybody here would be thinking, the king of Israel the leader of the nation. And so then he prays, O save your people and bless your heritage. Again, the nation of Israel. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. And so just like scripture holds together uh, both grace and mercy and justice and righteousness, it also holds together faith in a way that is both personal and public. Faith that has implications for our home and for our nation. And again, uh, most of us have grown up in a context where we're most familiar with hearing the phrase, the separation of church and state. And there's a lot of goodness to the separation of church and state. But it might be helpful for us to think about the differentiation of church and state. But to recognize all throughout Scripture, there is meant to be a seamlessness between our personal convictions and faith and what we advocate for Publicly, and what we think is good for those who are around us. That we differentiate them, but we don't separate them. I think it was one time listening to a lecture by R.C. Sproul where he, uh, he pointed this out in a helpful way. He said, we differentiate between the body and the soul, but if we separate them, you're dead. We differentiate them as two different things, but we don't ultimately separate them to say they have nothing to do with one another. They have something to do with one another. Uh, there aren't as very many things that our whole family can agree to watch together, uh, but cooking and baking shows seem to be one of the things that we can get every one of us to be entertained by. And so now we're working through a show on Amazon Prime that's a baking challenge, but everything has to be uh, decorated in Dr. Seuss stories. 
And so each episode is a new Dr. Seuss story, and then they have to make a scene from that, and they have to make everything decorated in the spirit of a, of a Dr. Seuss story, and we're enjoying it, but always as a part of the competition, the challenge is, you know, unexpectedly, they're already working on something, they have all these different flavors that they're imagining, and then the judges will say, and now you have to add this flavor, and they have to add it in, and their expectation is at the end that they'll be able to taste that flavor, that they'll be able to differentiate the textures in the dessert and also the flavors. And some of them are really weird. One of them, they were making dessert and they had to put mustard in the dessert. It was like, how are you gonna make this taste good? But they had to think creatively so that at the end, again, when the judges are taking a bite, they're like, I taste this and this, and it's balanced by this, and it's seasoned like this. And if they can do all of that, they get a high mark. But if they put it all together and the judge just takes a bite and says, I just taste one thing, then they don't usually do that well. And when we come to something like Psalm 28, it highlights very different ways in which we're called to be faithful, that we're to resist evil, that we're to celebrate mercy, and then ultimately that we're to extend goodness, not just to ourselves, but to imagine it for other people, for our nation and for this world. That's an image, if you will, that I... I submit, is a, is a helpful way to think about how we'll stand before God. That we don't use any of these things as being opposed to one another, but that our lives would be characterized as people who know we're dependent upon grace. So we don't talk about evil and wickedness with a, well, you're the bad guys, we're the good guys. No, 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 we talk about it to say, we actually know something about this because we struggle with this. We're sinners. And we've been recipients of grace. But in our struggle for that, we're asking you to join the struggle. <laughs> join the resistance. Ask for mercy. Plead for repentance. Create new and healthy habits so that you don't keep falling back into the same pit that you found yourself in. And at the same time that we do that, there are some people that seem to just be angry all the time. They, they have something that they're so upset by that we pause and say, do you ever celebrate <laughs> Do you ever just take a moment and thank God for what he's done? But there's then a temptation that if all we're doing is celebrating, somebody would be like, are, you, are your eyes open to what's going on in the world right now? <laughs> or is, are all of your celebrations just a form of escape to the real temptations and struggles that so many people are going through? And then in the last point, again, our goal and obligation as followers of Jesus is not just to uh, prioritize ourselves and our immediate families, but to never lose sight of our neighborhood, our community, our country, and this world. We've started a, a pattern, uh, we've continued the pattern in our home of listening to a, a hymn or a song every night. A new one that we've added is trying, if we can, most days of the week to mark down a prayer journal as a family, where everybody has to say something that you're thankful for, and then something that you want to ask God's help for. There should always be something you can thank him for, but there's something that you also need to ask his help for. And as we do that, uh, maybe we're two months into it, I could look back in it, but one of the challenges that regularly is convicting to me, because I don't even think even in these first two months we're doing it very well, is if God were to answer all the prayers that we have taken the time to write down, would just our lives be better, or would the world be better? Right now, I think it'd be mostly that our lives would be better, which is not a bad thing. 
we all need prayer for all kinds of things we're going through. But as Christians, those prayers are supposed to continually expand by his grace. That because of his grace in our lives, the world actually gets better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the beauty of these psalms and hymns, that even the the briefest of them are so filled uh, with insight and wisdom, enough to convict us and encourage us, uh, to strengthen us for the days ahead. Uh, We do bless you for being our sword and our shield, our stronghold. And we ask that you would continue to be the stronghold of our community, of our neighborhoods, of our nation, of this world, that the leaders of, uh, of our schools, of our towns, of our countries, would look to you ultimately for wisdom, would seek your blessing above and beyond anything else, would seek to instill righteousness and justice, that it would flow down like living streams in our society. Father, help us as your children to resist evil, to prevent damage and harm from continuing to affect so many people. We know we need your grace to do all of it, but we pray that you would uh, give us that imagination um, to be obedient to all the things you've called us to as your children and to trust that you will give us everything that we need for everything that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together for-